Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 182. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I am thrilled to have you here listening today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, CJ Grace. CJ is an author, journalist, and a student of life's absurdities. CJ, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show today, Kim. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. I know you have an amazing story and I can't wait to have you share it with the listeners. So with that said, would you mind jumping in and sharing a bit about your background so that the listeners know more about you? Well, I am the author of Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not, which I have to say, it was based on life experience and on a lot of interviews with other women and men too. And I've been involved in small businesses for much of my life. And I was always working for somebody else, working for the BBC as a journalist, working for China Radio International as a journalist advisor, working with my husband on his material. And now it is absolutely fantastic to be working on my own stuff. I love it. Okay, I can't help this. I'm sorry, CJ, but I know this is a positive productivity podcast where bloopers just happen. But when you say the BBC, all I can think about is that poor man sitting at his desk when the two kids come in while he's broadcasting? What went through your head when you saw that? Well, you know, I don't know what story you're talking about because I worked in the BBC um, back oh in the gosh. Stone Age days. Okay. I was, I was working back in the Stone Age days before computers, before non-linear editing that you can do on your computer. I did cut and splice. I carried a big, heavy U-hair tape recorder with me to interview people and interviewed all kinds of folks, ranging from Margaret Thatcher to somebody who had eaten the contents of a bicycle. They actually ate a bicycle. That was one oh of my, my interviews. So it was an amazing job to, to have. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but then I moved to the United States from England to be with my uh, my husband, from whom I'm now separated. But uh, I was very glad that I had that experience because working as a journalist for the BBC in those days, they trained you. And I learned how to interview people. And the lovely thing about that is that it means that wherever you go in life, you can engage with folks, you can find out about their stories. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating to be able to do that. And so when I went through my own challenges, CJ, I found... Can I, can I interrupt you just for a quick yeah. second? Because you may not be the only person who doesn't know at all what I'm talking about. Listeners, we are having this chat in 2017, in the fall of 2017, and I don't usually date. But this past spring or summer, there was a video that went viral on social media. There was a BBC reporter who was live on air working from his home office. And I think he was reporting actually on something going on in the Middle East, a very serious topic. And all of a sudden, in the back corner of his office, you see a little toddler walk in. And right after her, there was an infant that came in in the walker. 
<laughs> you have to laugh. I, I didn't see that. I'm going to have to look it up because I, uh, and, and, I'll put it in the show notes, but it, it almost goes around full circle to you, a student of life's absurdities. <laughs> and that's true. And I remember when I was working in the BBC, there was a wonderful uh, set of recordings of all kinds of bloopers. And I know you love bloopers. And one of the most common ones was people just bursting into fits of laughter because you miss say something and then you realize how funny it is that you've said that or something weird happens. Uh, I remember, for example, I was doing an interview about um, uh, a Sikh festival in Britain. And there is a religious book in the Sikh religion called, I believe, the Holy Garanta. And when I heard that, it sounded to me like the Holy Grunter, you know, somebody that grunts. And I shouldn't have laughed, but I, I had a very hard time keeping a straight face and continuing that interview because it just seemed so funny. We were having this very serious interview about, you know, the, the, this religion and this festival that was happening. And then the Holy Grunter. And you think, oh, my God, that sounds so ridiculous. And you shouldn't laugh, but you do. Um, so I have to say that these things always happen. There's always something there that makes you laugh. And what I find, having gone through finding out my husband was unfaithful, which was the background to me writing the book, Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not. And then I'm working on a second book, which is entitled Hotel Chemo, Learning to Laugh Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. Now, how would you laugh about certain subjects like going through chemo, like planning for your funeral, which I actually have written about in that book. But it's amazing how much humor there is in all of this stuff if you if you look for it. And that's what you need to dig you out of any kind of hole of feeling really down, really depressed with what's going on or feeling overloaded. If you see the humor in life and take a little step back, I think that allows you to function more productively, really, and to do a better job and to be happier and not just get ground down by what happens in life. You've got me thinking now about my days being raised Catholic, because I remember getting the evil eye from my mother, because I would, my best friend went to the same church as I did, and we would, I would purposely guide my mom to sit next to her and her family so that we could sit next to each other and like jab each other with our elbows all through service to keep each other awake. But during the homily, we would often just break out in fits of giggles for no reason. Yeah. Okay. So I want to back up though. And it's nerves. You know, sometimes it is a symptom of, of nervousness because you know you shouldn't do it. So you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the holy grunter or holy well, grunter, the- that would have been totally me because that's what I would have seen on it or heard out of it, too. And I would. Yes. I don't know how I would have gotten through that one. I can barely get through one. Ep- I No, let me do be honest. I can barely get through five minutes on my own show without a blooper. So, yeah. Now, let's go back. You moved to the States to be with your husband and you got into his business. What happened then? And how did your journey, how has your journey gone since then? Well, we had a business together and some of it involved book publishing, which was something I was used to because my dad had a small publishing company and I learned from him about all kinds of things, in particular, writing off every expense you possibly could. And also, how to treat employees with kindness and respect. One thing that really stuck in my mind about him was that uh, he had uh, somebody come for interview for a job and it was during a recession in Britain and and unemployment was pretty high. 
And this man who was, I believe, an Oxford graduate in English, um, burst into tears during the interview because he'd found it so hard to get work. And my father, rather than thinking, oh, I don't want somebody like that, he thought, oh, what a shame. How, how terrible. I'm going to employ him. So he employed this man and he ended up being one of his best employees ever. So that was a very, very good lesson to learn because uh, I think that if you are having people working for you, whether they are contractors, whether they are on staff, however they are, or whether they're just co-workers in a uh, job where you yourself are an employee, it's always good to keep good relations, to be kind to other people. And uh, having worked in the media, uh, some people get pretty high up, they get famous, and then somehow they fall and they go down. And you can find that the people you messed with on your way up and weren't very nice to, you may need them on your way down. So um, I think that it's a very, very good policy to be kind and compassionate to the people that you're working with, whatever work you do. And that was a great lesson that I got from my father. So moving on, though, after I had the business with my husband, um, then we had some marital difficulties when he had an affair with uh, another woman that I found out about. And that put a little bit of a crimp in our relationship, to say the least. Uh, and then uh, shortly after that, maybe 18 months or so after that, I came down with a second bout of breast cancer. So those two items were a real kick in the pants for me to, to, to look at my life and to think, well, you know, life is short. How do I want to live the rest of my life in a way that is meaningful and fulfilling? And I had already started getting back in, into writing, which is one of my great loves, and began to write the uh, Adulterer's Wife book. After finishing that, I thought, wow, I don't really have anything else to say. But then when I got the cancer, I had plenty more to say. So that's really been my journey. And uh, I have some plans in the offing. I would quite like to get back to radio and do um, a podcast of my own. I think that's something that would bring me an awful lot of joy. Uh, but at the moment, I'm a journalist. Uh, I write for Huffington Post. Uh, these days, journalism is not as remunerative an activity as it used to be in the days when I was working for the BBC. But but um, it's, it's an activity I enjoy very much indeed. What is one of the humors that you personally found out of your journey with breast cancer? Well, first of all, I have to preface this with the fact that I was, I was lucky. I had an easier ride than uh, quite a lot of other people I came across. I'm still here standing talking to you. I'm okay until I'm not like most people. Um, but I didn't, um, I, I did a lot of alternative uh, work, alternative therapies, along with the standard cut, poison, burn routine of surgery, chemo, radiation. Um, and I ended up feeling quite good compared to some of the other people I was, I had seen. So it is harder the, the, the worst you feel, obviously, the harder it is to keep a positive attitude. But I made sure, for example, when I was going through cancer, I was looking at comedy films. I avoided anything that was depressing. I didn't want to go and somebody invited me to go and see Wild with um, Witherspoon. She, she did this really good movie called Wild. And it's about her recovery from depression. And I thought, no, I don't think that's what I want to go and see when I'm going through cancer. I want to see things that are uplifting, 
and humorous. I don't want to hear the bad news. I stopped listening to the news on the radio. Um, and I was a news hound having been a BBC journalist. All those things helped to elevate my attitude. I made sure I was uh, spending time with good friends. I cultivated a good, strong circle of friends. And those kinds of things bring more life, love and humor into your life. I found that I would look at things and that were going on in the cancer clinic and think of all kinds of bizarre, humorous um, sides to them. Things as, as bizarre as I had been reading an article waiting for my radiation, my first radiation therapy in the, I can't remember what magazine it was, but it was about the last hanging in Britain, okay? a bit dreary. And they would put this uh, striped clothing on on the, the condemned man, which was blue, blue and white striped. And so I go in to have my radiation session. And the gowns are blue and white striped. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> and you know, so I noticed those kinds of things. And, and um, it was more like gallows humor. I kept on coming across things that were so bizarre. And I've said that I'm not a great dog lover, for instance. And so um, bless them in the in the cancer clinic I went to, they would have these therapy drug dogs to come and cheer people up. And of course, I would sort of grump and oh, I don't want this dog sniffing at my bag or sniffing at my crotch. And I'd be all grumpy and, and sort of the, the sort of nasty, grumpy Brit in the corner. But I'd see how everybody else in the room was brightening up at this dog coming in and sort of cheering them up. And they'd all be petting the dog. So, I mean, these would be these would be things that would make me laugh. And I would think, oh, my God, I'm such a grumpy old cow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think if you can see humor in things, it really takes you out of feeling uh, of the possibility of feeling depressed. That's that's my feeling. Oh, definitely. And I, you've heard my story before about how our water was shut off because we didn't have money to pay for it. And on that day, it had snowed. <laughs> so my husband oh, sent the my kids God. out to the backyard. My boys, they're older. He sent them out to the backyard to pee. And he told them, bring in a bucket of snow, clean snow, and put it in the toilet so that mom can use it. <laughs> oh, my God. You have to do that. I mean, and, and now you have a great story to tell. It may have been tough at the time, but now you can see the humor in, in, in all of those things that have gone on. And I, I should mention one more thing about humor. Um, in both of my books, I have uh, a lot of cartoons, and they also show ludicrous situations, both in terms of dealing with infidelity and in terms of uh, dealing with cancer that would make somebody laugh. For example, I have one on radiation therapy. And I came up with this cartoon because I had asked the person doing radiation on me, what, what is this machine? How is this stuff? What is the kind of radiation that you're putting into me? And they use a linear accelerator with photon rays. And I thought, well, that reminds me of Star Trek, because it's a photon ray gun that they use in Star Trek. So I came up with this cartoon of this woman being attacked by a space alien with a photon ray gun that hits her in the breast. And then the caption is, 
radiation therapy because that's in fact what's happening. It's almost like you're going through a Star Trek attack when you, when you have radiation. So I found all these ways of finding humor in my circumstances and particular in, particularly in the more grim circumstances, just like you did with, uh, with peeing in the snow and uh, with trying to use clean snow to, uh, to flush, your, flush your toilet with when, when your water was uh, cut off. You got, you got to do that. And um, the people that are able to do that are the ones that end up being um, happier and more productive in life and more fulfilled. Because I think the bottom line, Kim, is that happiness is inside your head. It's not outside. Whatever happens, good or bad, your reaction to that is what will determine whether you are a happy person or a depressed person. And so that's the most important thing to work on. A lot of people think it's because they haven't got enough money or they haven't met the right guy or, you know, they don't have the right car or they haven't got a nice house to live in. Well, all these things are really functions of what's in your head and how you see life in general and whether you see yourself as, say, a victim or somebody who is complete in in their own right and who can just go for what, what they want, what you want, and who can just roll with the punches when things don't necessarily always go your way, which they won't. That's life. Oh, absolutely. Do you follow Brendan Burchard at all? Um, no, I don't. I'm, I've read a number of books that I found very, very helpful for um, promoting happiness. Some of those I mention in the free PDF that I have available on my website. And my website is adulteraswife.com. And I've uh, put together a free PDF. It's like a mini ebook based on uh, material that's in the Adulterer's Wife book I wrote. It's called Overcoming Infidelity, Tools to Tame the Emotional Roller Coaster. And in there, I've got some recommended reading of books that I think are very, very good in terms of how to reprogram your brain to be happier so that you focus on the happy things in life and don't dwell on the things that will make you depressed. So the books I recommend are things like, for example, Arianna Huffington's book, Thrive, and uh, Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen. And then another one which I thought was excellent was Mindsight by Daniel Siegel, I think is his name. I've got these all in my uh, free PDF. But they have some very, very interesting and simple tools to uh, really learn how to rewire your brain so that the happiness sticks and the stuff that isn't so important but that is less good doesn't stick. I'll give you the example of, of, of how things work in, in life. Normally, when you, ha- you can have a politician that's done fantastic things all their life and then one bad thing happens and all people think about is that one thing. I think maybe Elliot Spitzer, for example, is an example of that. Um, He did some fantastic things in terms of clamping down on people in Wall Street who were really, let's say, behaving badly. And he was brought down by uh, the call girl scandal. I don't know if you remember that story or not. But that's really all people think about with him. He was at that point governor of New York and he had to resign 
um, to my mind, I would think about all the things he did for citizens in general prior to that as being much more important than the fact that he was caught with a call girl. So those are the things, that's the problem. The, the bad stuff tends to stick and the good stuff, it tends to be, it tends to flow away. So one of the quotes that I could give you from Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen, he says that negative experiences are like Velcro and positive experiences are like Teflon because your brain is wired that way for survival. If you put your finger on the stove, you immediately no, it goes straight into long-term memory. You do not put a finger on a stove. You do not burn your finger once, you know, once bitten, twice shy is the uh, is the proverb that goes with that. But there are so many, you know, nice experiences that you have in the day, but they don't really stick unless you make an effort to let those things sink in. Beautiful sunset, a smile of your children, you know, a lovely meal, um, you know, your pet on your lap and you're petting your cat or whatever it is. These things are lovely experiences that in some ways we take for granted. But one bad thing happens, you have a phone call from somebody who's angry with you and that sort of sticks and you forget about all the good stuff that happens. So it's something you can do in your life. If you do, if you work at it, you can actually work at getting the positive experiences to stick and take over the weeds of all this negative stuff that uh, churn around in your brain that you really don't need. Brendan Burchard talks about how when he was a child, he, his parents actually had their, the furnace broke at their house. And his, oh my God. And Brendan Burchard is a very, very successful man, but his parents always struggled. I think he said that his parents never made more than 40,000 a year combined. So rather than getting all down about it, they actually made a game out of it. They brought the camping equipment, like the tent and the sleeping bags, into the living room. And then for the couple weeks until the next payday, when they could get the furnace fixed, they didn't even tell the kids why they were doing it. They just made a game out of it. They brought them into the living room and they all camped. And the kids never had any idea until they were older why that had actually happened. They had no idea there was struggle because their parents had turned it around into a game and it turned it into something that later on in life, they could actually laugh about. Wow, what an amazing set of parents to have been born with. Oh, absolutely. And looking at any of our life circumstances is the same thing. Like exactly how, you, I mean, you found the ability to laugh at the the blue and the white striped gowns. And it's a matter of mindset and how we look at anything. Well, you could just imagine just going to a party, you go to a party and you've just had an argument with your partner, you, you know, haven't been doing very well at work and there you are at this party, you're already in a grumpy mood, you're not going to particularly enjoy it. Somebody else can come there and they're in a good mood, they're upbeat, they just maybe um, got a great job that they've been trying to get for a while. Who's going to have a better experience at that party? Pretty obvious. And each person goes in with their own mindset and that colors how they see that it doesn't just color their how they see the world it colors how the world sees them and how people outside treat them because people react to you the way you react to them and it's a circle and it's a vicious cycle if you are in the negative mode 
but it's a very positive cycle if you're in the positive mode. Now, the trick is to get into that positive mode. It's easier said than done, but it's well worth trying to, to, to do that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, take a look at when any of us sleeps in by accident on any given morning. We can either, and pardon my mouth listeners, you know I don't cuss very often, but you can either say, oh shit, you know, and let it ruin your whole day. Or you can be like, oh, I needed that sleep. Thank goodness. Now let's do our best to keep a positive spirit and keep on going. Yeah, absolutely. That's just just it. And it's interesting that um, Ariana Huffington in Thrive, and I have to say I, I'm biased towards Ariana because she she liked my book enough that when I gave her a copy, she invited me to be a contributor on Huffington Post. So thank you very much, Ariana. That was great. But anyway, in her book Thrive, which I would recommend to anybody to read, she has three things that are important to maintain well-being. One of them is sleep. And you mentioned that sleeping late. Well, sleeping at least half an hour more a day, for example, either sleeping longer, going to bed earlier, having a nap. That's number one. Number two, move your body. Because so many people, they just sit in front of a computer or they're sitting working or they're in front of the television. They don't even go outside. Move your body, preferably outside. That's going to do wonders for your mood. It doesn't matter what kind of exercise you do, walking, dancing to your favorite music, anything like that, Um, yoga, whatever you do good for your morale. And then the third thing is have some kind of meditation practice, maybe 10 minutes. And it doesn't have to be anything complicated. You can just sit on your bottom and watch your breathing slow, try and be relaxed and just watch your breathing going in and out and in and out and try not to hold your breath at any point while you're watching your breathing. Just that those three things can incredibly supercharge your mood and your well-being and your health. So it's about stepping back and taking a bit of time and serving yourself as much as everybody else around you. So how much sleep would you say that you get on an average night? I do try to get at least seven. Do I do that all the time? But Arianna Huffington in her second, in in, in the other book she wrote about sleep, which was The Sleep Revolution, that's another good book, uh, says that a minimum of seven is recommended um, and eight is better. Uh, But you can get part of it in a nap in the daytime if you ever have time for that, especially with kids. But that's really what you should be aiming for. Seven is about the minimum. And I do try to get seven. Do I sleep well through the night sometimes? Yes, sometimes no. That's that's another story. But uh, the book Sleep Revolution by Arianna Huffington does have a lot of uh, techniques to improve that as well, not just... uh, getting off to sleep, but also staying asleep. Those those are two issue, major issues that a lot of people have. Oh, yeah. And I, I had that issue myself. I think it's episode number five, listeners, you can find it at com forward slash PP005. It was actually why I'd rather that you sleep than listen to me because I went through, I did this in two different occasions in my life where I was only sleeping two to three hours a night Ooh. consistently for for a couple years on both yeah both times that I did this and both times it led me into serious anxiety and depression. Absolutely. Because, and, and for example, in terms of driving, driving when you haven't had enough sleep, when you're sleep deprived is at least as bad as driving drunk 
driving under the air. I mean, it's uh, so it's it's a huge thing. Sleep deprivation is a major problem in our culture. And there is also this sort of macho thing of people going on about how well they can do without having much sleep. Um, a lot of politicians do that and, uh, you know, in their campaigns and all of this. And they're expected as soon as they get off the plane, whatever time zone they're in, they're expected to go straight into meetings and be really, really focused. No, people need sleep. And especially if you're going through different time zones, if you don't give yourself time to um, to rest and recover, you're just shortening your lifespan. And as you said, creating depression and uh, all kinds of health problems. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I found that what should be a two hour task takes eight hours. If, absolutely. If I flip the two to eight or the eight to two for sleeping. Yeah. And I'm not saying either. I don't get seven hours of sleep every night. But what I have really been trying to do, and I'm not perfect on this either, is taking myself away from screens, all screens an hour before bed. That's right. Yeah, my quality of sleep is just tremendously improved. Arianna Huffington in her book, The Sleep Revolution, also says that uh, if you have a two-hour gap between screen time and going to bed, that's going to improve your sleep dramatically. She recommends not having your iPads in your bedroom, not having your cell phone, just keep it. If you want to read, don't read from your iPad, read from a a paper book, not a uh, book on a screen, because there's something about the blue light and the stimulation and the fact that, you know, you've got your Facebook stuff popping in, you've got your emails popping in, all of that. It just stops your mind being able to get into the sleep mode. It's just over, over, over stimulated. So you're so right there. Two hours is quite tough to do, but actually two hours is a good gap to have between ending your screen time and uh, and actually going to bed. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to take it from one to two yet, but... <laughs> one hour is good. One hour is definitely good. So... Um... But that's been an amazing journey for myself, actually, in the last couple of years. Just what you said about reading from physical books. And I will get inquiries from publishers and publicists who are looking to get their authors on the show. And they want to know where they can send the e-copy after after I say yes. And I always turn down the e-copy. If they want me to read right. a book before their guest is on the show, it needs to be a physical copy. Because the only time, so yes, authors, I accept submissions. But the only time that I have to read on a regular basis is in that hour before bed. And I'm not going to do it on a screen. And I encourage CJ and I encourage you all not to do it either. Get away from the screens. Give yourself that break. And I have to say on a related topic, my book, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not, is available both in Kindle and in print format through Amazon. But the Kindle version is so much uglier. Even in a fairly simple book like mine, there's so much of the formatting, the beautiful formatting on a page, your page header, all the nice ways you can have a border around a cartoon image, for instance, and, you know, having your grayscaled image behind your chapter header, all of that kind of stuff you can't really do in Kindle. Kindle is a very boring, dreary format with just page flow and you you just see text down the page. It's not a very pretty way of reading. I really don't don't even like the look of a Kindle book compared to the look of a print book. Maybe I'm a dinosaur, but uh, I I think there's no comparison. It's very cold. What are you reading right now, CJ? 
I have been reading for my second book that I'm working on, uh, Hotel Chemo, uh, Hotel Chemo, Learning to Laugh Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. And my final chapter there is Resting in Peace. And it's about planning your funeral and wills and all this kind of thing. And I've read a number of books by, she wrote Bonk, and she's also written a book called Stiff. And I would have to look it up in my. If you, oh, I put it in the I, show I, notes. I, yes, but it's she's a brilliant uh, writer and she's got a great sense of humour. So there's a book called Stiff, which is really about um, the secret life of cadavers, of, of what happens to corpses. It sounds very, very dark and dreary, but it's actually a fascinating book. And I was reading that to get material for that final chapter. Another book I recently read for that uh, chapter was um, Jessica Mitford's American Way of Death, which was a fascinating and also sarcastic and scathing expose of the American funeral industry. Because um, one of the things that I wrote about in that chapter was planning your funeral. And for me, I think I just like direct to cremation. It was good enough for my cat. I think it's good enough for me. So, <laughs> and it's a lot cheaper too. So right. I, I, I read about all these, um, you know, bizarre things that were, were, were happening in the funeral industry. And in Britain, for example, we don't go for embalming and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's uh, an open casket. We just sort of have a closed pine box almost and put it in the earth and that's it. So it's, it's I come from a slightly different culture. But anyway, I, I found a lot of humor in that subject, even though one would think that there isn't much there. So a lot of the books I do read are um, connected with, with what I'm writing about. The re- book I just finished was Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen, which I just mentioned. And I'd heard about that because Arianna Huffington mentions it in her Thrive book. So I tend to read more nonfiction than, than fiction. And usually they are... Um, books that are connected to um, the subjects that, that I write. In Adulterous Wife, I have a very, very long uh, bibliography because I read a lot of books and every time I read books, they end up looking like Tibetan temples because I put in so many of those colored tags in there. They look like those Tibetan prayer flags because every time I read anything, I think, oh, that's really interesting. I should mention that in my book. And so I've always got tons of stuff to put in. That's really because I was a BBC journalist with a background in doing a lot of research search for the stories that I covered. That's really uh, how I write and how I like to uh, get ideas and inspirations for, for the subjects I write about. CJ, what legacy do you want to leave? I would like to leave the legacy that you really can turn adversity into opportunity. If everything in life was hunky-dory, I don't think you'd bother to make positive change. So when life throws you curveballs, you can either be crushed by them or you can be raised up by them. You just have to not give up and not get into that kind of victim mentality. If you say to yourself, I will not be a victim this will pass. I'm going to use this to make my life better, not worse than it was before. That is the legacy I'd like to leave. It's it's very easy to give up, to get depressed. Uh, That classic picture of uh, the depressed woman eating from a tub of ice cream, sitting on in bed watching television as a way to cope with heartbreak or sadness or whatever. No, that is not the way to cope with it. The way to cope with it is to get off your butt and go for what you want to do. Life is short. Make it count. Where could listeners find you online? My website is adulterer'swife.com. 
And I also write for Huffington Post. So if you Google CJ Grace Huffington Post, you'll find my Huffington Post articles. And if you go online uh, to my website, adulterer'swife.com, you'll also be able to get a free gift. It's a, a mini ebook called Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Emotional Roller Coaster. It, that has uh, excerpts from my book, Adulterer's Wife How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not. And if you'd like that book, that is available on Amazon in print and Kindle format. Awesome. And listeners, again, all the resources, books, everything that we've talked about, CJ's website URL and her books as well, will be on the show notes page, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP182. CJ, thank you so much for joining us here today. I've enjoyed every moment of it and you've provided so much insight. Do you have a last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you could share with listeners? Kim, I want to thank you very much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed talking to you. The most important thing and the hardest thing that I find to do, but maybe the most important thing is to try and find balance in your life. You have to have balance between getting enough time to rest and relax and being productive and prioritizing well to get what you want done in life. But without the other side, without the rest and relaxation side, the productivity and creative side won't be as good. So balance is very, very important. Thank you.